Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just wanna find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Sarah Ray Stolinger. Sarah is the president and CEO of Easter Seals serving Chicagoland and Rockford. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, before we jump into it and uh, and hear about your story, tell us about Easter Seals and uh, and what you do as an organization. Yes, absolutely. So Easter Seals serving Chicagoland and Greater Rockford is one of 70 affiliates of Easter Seals across the United States. And each Easter Seals is charged, the mission really focuses on doing community needs assessments and understanding the needs of the local community. So for us, that's understanding and serving the needs of um, Chicagoland and Greater Rockford area in Illinois. And we have two uh, pillars of work at our affiliate. Uh, one focuses in the disability space and the other focuses in the early learning and early childhood space. And so we offer an array of services that include therapeutic day schools for um, youth with autism, diagnostic autism services, um, federally funded Head Start uh, daycare, and early intervention and just a variety of, of, of other programs that fit into those disability and early learning pillars. Yeah, incredible. I think it's uh, amazing work that you do, really important and um, so important for the community. And I, I can only imagine how many individuals' lives have been and families have been just uh, blessed by by what you what you do. So thank you, f firstly, for, for the work that you do. Um, I want to jump into your story and start at the beginning and ask you if you reflect back on your childhood, when you were growing up, what are the moments or even themes from that season of your life that really shaped you into the person and leader you are today? Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I, I always thought of myself as an accidental leader. You know, if there's such a thing, I definitely am an accidental CEO. Um, and what I mean by that is I think that leadership called to me rather than me seeking leadership, if that makes sense. And so from a very young age, I started to be identified as, you know, being appointed to positions, like even as young as sixth grade, the captain of the school safety patrol, you know, the, the um, young people in the elementary school <laughs> that walk other kids home from school and across the street. And That's so I remember good. thinking, you know, at that age, why, why would they pick me, you know, out of, out of all of these people? I didn't quite understand that. I felt honored, but I, I didn't really understand that. And Similarly, as an athlete, you know, in track and field and high school and college and being selected as, as captain or most valuable player, like I, I always felt like these selections caught me a little off guard, um, that I wasn't seeking them. Leadership really sought me. Um, and that was, you know, similar with my story in nonprofit leadership, which was not really a part of my original career plan. Yeah, that's so interesting that it's the, I like that, the accidental, um, 
you know, the accidental CEO. Uh, and uh, that's just such a lovely <laughs> story imagining <laughs> you. Why are they picking me? But it's, you know, doing that from when you were really little. Um, I always love hearing those stories that that often carry some of the vision for where someone ends up and how they end up approaching life. And you see it from when they were little. So thank you for sharing that. That's gold. Um, as you think about, you, you talked about leadership opportunities, leadership kind of finding you. As you reflect, can you remember the first leadership opportunity or one of the first that really stretched you or challenged you where you think, oh, yeah, actually, when I stepped into that role, managing people, doing my own thing there, whether it was in school, college or or beyond, um, where you think, yeah, that really challenged and stretched me as a leader? Uh, yes, I definitely know exactly which role that is. And and it was the role, uh, you know, that preceded the leadership role that I'm in now, which was um, essentially being selected as the number two of the University of Chicago Urban Education Institute. So I was, my career path was really to become an educational researcher. You know, I have a PhD in sociology, and that was the path that I saw myself being on long term was really being in a in an academic setting and and conducting research on public schooling. And then, um, you know, my research unit was within the University of Chicago. And in 2008, the university decided they were going to merge three education-related organizations into this new entity called the Urban Education Institute. And they pulled me out of the research organization to be the number two of the new merging thing. Um, and again, that was a that was just such a surprise to me. Um, I had really never managed more than maybe $200,000 in a research project with maybe two direct reports. And, you know, this new merged thing was going to be 50 million operating and 500 employees. Um, and my specific role as the number two was to lead the merger of the three organizations. Um, and so wow. that was really a big transition for me, you know, from education research to nonprofit leadership. Um, and, and I will say it was a baptism by fire. It was really, really difficult. But what I, I discovered in that was the people that had identified me for that role saw something in me that I didn't really understand that I, that I had. And I quickly saw that I had underutilized skills. I mean, really skills that I had never used before that felt very familiar and comfortable for me, which I still made a lot of rookie mistakes, you know, in that leadership position, but I suddenly felt like I was using the wings that I, that I always had, you know, the whole time. And so that was my true kind of transformational moment um, in my career. Hmm. And, uh, and I learned a lot. I, I made a lot of mistakes, um, but, but I felt like that was really the beginning of the career path, you know, that I was meant to have in leadership. Yeah. I love that. And, and I love, um, what I love so much about your story is knowing that there might be listeners who, you know, are uh, on a particular career path to do, 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 you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, um, uh, this is where I'm going to end up. And then um, I, I, I love that picture of, you know, for you, other people actually went, what, you know, no, Sarah, we see this. Uh, we see this in, in you and, and how you um, lead already. And uh, wow, what a um, what a transition though to go like in terms of your first big leadership challenge, leading a merger. 
that's 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 right that's right up there um Uh what did you find i guess i'm trying to imagine being in your shoes as you went through that well so i have two questions for you what did you find was no different to what you'd already been doing where you thought oh okay actually this part of it i i've i've already been doing that already in in um you know leading a couple of hundred thousand dollars in terms of research and and what parts of particularly leading a merger did you find whoa okay this is completely different to anything i've ever done before and and um then really you had to kind of grow or learn you know i know there's two questions there does that make sense no i i i love those questions um and i i as you were talking i definitely uh, started to think. I mean, I think that the skill set that I already had that served me well in that role, and it's it's the reason I was chosen for the role, or that I was identified as somebody for the role. I had been at the org- the precursor organization for a long time. I had good relationships across all three of the merging organizations. So I think what people, what university leadership and others saw in me is I had the relational skills. Uh, you know, to be able to pull this off. And I also think that from a really young age, um, and I remember this so vividly, even in my first internship position, um, I had the ability to sit in a room and really read and sense what other people were thinking and feeling in a meeting, for instance. And I remember being 22 years old and being astonished that other leaders couldn't do that, that they were talking in a way, in a meeting that was making people uncomfortable and that they just couldn't pick that up. Because to me, it was like I could almost feel or sense that or hear that, you know, among people. And so I think the combination of having those relationships, being able to really read people well, and also as a very good, I mean, I'm an education researcher, I know how to ask good questions. Um, and and I think that's a really critical part of leadership is asking questions instead of making statements, you know, in most cases. And so I think that's what I had going for me going into the position. I think what I learned early on and, you know, the one of the first mistakes I made is I really have found that I had this gift to see around the corner. So I could see intuitively the steps we needed to go through to make this merger happen and to make this new institute a real thing with a real brand and a real entity. But, and so I came to the people in this organization with the vision all cooked, right? We're going to do phase one and it's going to happen in this time frame. And here's two, three, and four. <laughs> yeah. And that was my big rookie mistake because it was a great vision, but I didn't seek any input. I didn't ask any questions. And there was a lot of confusion um, and concern about this merger. Um, and so even though I was a good listener, I didn't bring that skill. You know, I wanted to prove myself in a leader that was very forceful and leading from the front. And I just was too new and green to understand that that's not the way you do it. So mm. I ended up having to kind of take a step back and after six weeks of getting nowhere and saying, okay, let's actually talk to people about what they think about this merger and, and what they see as the opportunities and the challenges. And in the end, we ended up almost going the same path that I had suggested, but it was like I needed to bring people along and mm-hmm. I needed to have them lead the vision. And I just, that was new to me. I had never done that before. Yeah, that's so good. And I think um, one of the biggest challenges I hear from leaders is 
um, you know, they hold on to a vision. Um, and, and in some ways, it's even harder if it's a, a founder who's growing an organization because it's literally, it has been their vision that's gotten it to a certain point and they hold on to it so tightly and they say, no, but this is what we need to do. And I always say um, say to them, yeah, but if, you, if you'll just let go of it and hold it in an open hand and get your team together and actually work on the vision together, you, I've, like I've never ever seen, and I'm trying to think now. And I, no, I haven't. I've never ever seen that process result in a poor vision. It's either, and and a lot of the time it turns out exactly like they thought it would. And then, um, particularly if I'm facilitating that in a room, a leader will say, "How did you get it to where I wanted it? You know, to go?" And I'll say, "Well, I <laughs> I didn't. Like that's <laughs> the didn't. point. Like there wasn't." <laughs> it's not manipulative. You literally say to people like, let's, you know, let's actually dream together about what it can look like. And so often, and that's how you get people bought in. And, um, and I think, but that's really hard as a leader. And I can see, I mean, I did that myself as well. I remember having, wanting to craft the vision myself and I poured over it for months and then realizing later on, you know what, I would have been better off bringing that team in to actually say, where should we go? And not only would it have probably ended up the same or similar, but if it was different, it would have been better. Better. I I was just thinking that. And I think there is, it's a, you know, it's another cornerstone of, of leadership. There's humility in that. And humility is just so important, which is to say, you leadership does not mean being the one with all the ideas in the room. In fact, it's it's kind of the opposite of that. It's facilitating a dialogue that brings out the best ideas of people around you. And, and I think that is, a, it's a common rookie mistake that I see when I'm talking to young leaders is feeling like you have to lead from the front and you have to have all the ideas um, instead of bringing that out and facilitating. And I'll say there's another related piece of that in leadership about managing that I think is, is very important because, and, and now that I'm a more seasoned leader, I don't have to do this. I can do this almost without thinking about it. It's almost automatic, but I have a list of important core facets of our organization across all the dimensions of work we do, whether it be operational or programmatic. Those core things are, it's about 5% maybe of the organization as a whole that are really critical to be firm and toe the line on, whether it be because it has to do with being true to the mission or the integrity of the organization or things that we promised funders or, you know, whatever it is. That 5%, those things I will fight tooth and nail for. I will be directive if I have to. I will intervene and direct. But really, the other 95%, it is better to you know, basically delegate or hand that to other talented people in the organization to carry and mold with guidance and support and questions. But I think your challenge as a leader is to figure out what is that 5% and why am I holding on to it and is it for the right reason? And then you do that. <laughs> That's so good. I one of my favorite um uh and you know sort of uh, anecdotes or analogies on the podcast is a, a a CEO an American CEO Emil Sayeg and he talked about this picture. I don't know if it was his. I, I I'm trying to remember now. Um but he talked about the, having a boat and it's like the difference between things that are underneath the boat and things that are on top of the boat. And it's like um you know <laughs> what when it comes to things that are on top of the boat that aren't going to sink the ship, it's like <laughs> that actually doesn't really 
um, it's not that it doesn't matter. It does matter, but it doesn't need your, like, it's, it's not, it's not going to sink the ship. So you can actually say, yeah, okay. What do we like? How do we want it to go? But when, when it's something that you identify, that's actually a, well, well, that's a, you know, that's a hole in the bottom of the ship issue. Like if that, if that, if there was an issue, if that's an underneath the ship issue, then that could cost the whole thing its mission. And I I was like, oh, that's such a great analogy to think, okay, what are we dealing with here? Is this like where, you know, what color should we have the, um, (laughs) the wheel of the ship (laughs) or, um, or something important, like how should we do the accommodation where people sleep? It's like, okay, that's important, but that's not going to sink the ship and and knowing what, and I think the five to 95 is great because I a hundred percent agree. It's usually like only a tiny amount of things that are really, you know, will will sink a ship level. And if you can get those right, understand what they are, and then go big. I was just saying this to someone yesterday in a coaching session saying, you know what, one idea is for them, there was one key behavior that was really obvious, which isn't always the case for the growth of their um, organization for the next six months. And I said, you should just write handwritten letters whenever anyone smashes that out of the park. Just write, like, find out yes, anyone across idea. your whole organization and don't write it for everything. Like, because that's, I, you know, I know you're busy, but whenever that happens, whenever you get feedback that someone did that behavior, write a handwritten note from the CEO to them that goes boom um, and deliver it. And, and and he was like, what if we deliver it to their home? And I was like, that's even better because then the even family better. gets. And, but I, I love that because he was, he was talking about the 90, he was talking about the 5%. And right. so I think once you identify the 5%, then you can, then you, then you toe the line, like you pick battles on that. You, you right. never walk past anything that's affecting that, but you also can then reward it. Anything that really consolidates those 5% go massive on those things. That is so true. And I would say the other thing about the 5% is if it's really 5%, then your employees and your leaders respect that because I'm the kind of leader that doesn't draw that line very often. So when I do and I express the reason why I'm doing it, people respect that. They might not agree with it, but they understand and respect it. Um, I will say though, the leadership challenge is identifying what is the 5%, because that really, there, there is such a thing as either the 5% is the wrong things or you're, and you're so hands-off that there are a lot of ways to sink your ship. I mean, I think most leaders, when they think of a sinking ship, think of the obvious things like running out of money or having a financial difficulty. But it's just as dangerous to allow new programs to bloom or take new money from a foundation that promotes mission creep, for instance. It's just as much of a a sinking ship if you are allowing leaders to espouse values or to behave in a way that's countercultural to your organization. So if you are going to do the 95-5, you have to make darn sure you know what belongs in the 5% and how you're going to protect it. Here's a question for you off that. How, how, what have you learned about how to do that? How do you identify, how do you clarify the 5%? Well, I think for me, the 5% falls into um, a few different categories. And, you know, this, this kind of comes directly off the, the comment that I just made. You know, part of the 5% is, it is structural. It's about organizational sustainability. And there are financial protections. There, there are 
things that have to be put into place to ensure that there is longevity for your organization. And those are different depending on what kind of organization you run. But in the special kind of nonprofit organization that I run, um, you know, there are certain funding sources that have to be protected, certain funders that have to be protected. There are external stakeholder relationships that have to be protected. So that belongs in the 5%, the protection of the sustainability of the organization in its different forms. The second category for me is cultural. It's organizational cultural. And that's one thing when I came into Easter Seals, I expected that the organization need a financial turnaround because that's why I was hired. You know, that was the premise was we, we are concerned that our organization is going to collapse and we want you to come in and help us to fix it. But it's almost always the case that when you come into an organization that's struggle, struggling financially or operationally, that there are issues in the organizational culture as well. And, you know, one of the things that I think that newer leaders don't necessarily understand is that organizational sustainability and culture challenges exist in every organization, no matter how, quote, successful it is on whatever metrics it's using to measure, because organizations constantly evolve. And, you know, it really is the case that a good leader is constantly keeping their finger on the pulse of the organizational culture. But first you have to figure out what kind of organizational culture you want. And then you have to start really drawing lines to promote and protect that. Some of that's positive reinforcement, like what you just said, right? Which is rewarding, um, you know, behaviors that, that are focused on promoting the kind of culture that we want. But some of it is um, directive. Some of it is punitive. Um, it has to be to protect the culture. So the sustainability and the culture are two. And, and I think the last 5% has to do with the way that we think about growing our people within the organization. So what kind of an organization, is this a place where we're promoting the growth and development of our employees, where we're taking good care of them? So broadly for me, there's some version of the three of those things that always falls into the 5%. And then most importantly, the quality of the work. That would be the fourth. Um, and how do you mm. know that it's good? How are you measuring that? How are you constantly evolving to improve? And, and so those are kind of my four cornerstones, I would say, of the 5%. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think there's um, that's a, a great process and that's really thought-provoking. There'll be a lot of people taking notes, thinking about their own teams and organizations and what those same things might be for them, um, which is a great starting point. Um, so I want to ask you, Obviously, that was that was the massive. Um, I can hear like a bit of a transformation for for you in that role. Going, okay, this is, um, you know, maybe I can do this. Maybe this is maybe my future is different than what I expected. Um, are there any aha moments? Any other aha moments or shifts in your leadership so far that come to mind where you think, oh yeah, that's right. I probably thought about things one way and then had a big epiphany or just for some reason it's really stuck with you in how to lead that sort of shifted you or or woke you up about one idea absolutely well you know that if the urban education institute was sort of my first um you know transformational moment certainly taking the turnaround ceo position at easter seals serving chicago land and greater rockford was the second um, and, you know, my first lesson coming in was um, that it's, you know, when you come into an organization that has real struggles, it's probably worse than, than what you know <laughs> before you accept the job. Um, and, 
and our organization was in was in really dire shape. Um, you know, we we had a very bad cash liquidity problem. Um, we were over twenty million dollars in debt. Uh, we had about five million dollars in unpaid bills. We had um, organizations calling us to collect on unpaid bills every single day. You know, just dozens and dozens of phone calls to all different departments within our organization. Um, and we had to make some really hard decisions very quickly. Um, you know, I knew that there would be a longer term trajectory to think about the things that I just talked about, about organizational culture and programmatic quality. But there was this element of just, we have to survive for three months um, that kind of changed the pace uh, of the work that I was doing, which made it really different from what I had done in the past. But I would say one of the leadership moves that I've made, which I intuitively did this, but didn't really understand why I was doing it or how it was, how important it was until afterwards, was I really took responsibility for every financial decision that we made to right the ship in a very transparent way with our organization. So one example of that is, um, you know, we, the first August after I started, we, our organization runs payroll every other week. And so that means that two months out of the year, we have three payrolls in one month. Um, and our payroll is, you know, roughly a million dollars every time we run it. And so having three payrolls in one month is a heavy lift, especially when you have a liquidity problem. And that first August of 2019, we had three payrolls. And I, I said to my leaders and my finance committee chair, I just, I don't know that we're going to, if we're going to make the third payroll. Wow. And it, it was, you know, we got down to, we got within $1,200 on, on 70 million. Uh, that's how close <laughs> it came. <laughs> and what I did leading up to that is I took my whole team, like the HR tech finance administrative team, and I brought them into the conference room. And, you know, organizations, they were getting all the collections phone calls. They knew that something was going on and nobody had ever really talked to them about what was happening. And I sat them all down and I said, I'm going to shoot straight with you about what's happening here. And I laid it all out and told them the truth about where we were. And then I told them all the reasons I thought we were going to make it and, and how, we, how I thought we could make it with their help. Um, and I didn't understand how transformational that was culturally because there, that transparency had just never been there. It was like people were so much more devoted to the organization after that scary moment. I thought people would quit. <laughs> I thought they would start looking for jobs, but it had exactly the opposite effect. It was like this bonding force. Similarly, every time we made cuts in our Easter Seals Academy campuses, I told the principals, I'm going to come in person and I'm going to talk to your staff about it myself. And I, I stood in front of them and I took responsibility and I took the responsibility off everybody that reported to me and said, don't be mad at the principal or the person that runs the schools or I made these decisions. If, be, if you're mad at anyone, be mad at me. And then I told them all the reasons why we were doing the things we were doing. And so, you know, I don't think I really understood that good leadership really is about taking responsibility for, you know, all the things that go wrong and giving credit to other people for all the things that go right. But I do think that that was part of the glue that held the organization together during that time when things were really scary and hard. That's the reason people stayed is, mm. you know, because of those moves. So that was a huge learning for me. Um, it was so emotionally difficult mm. to be the person standing in front of that room every time. But I would, it was the most, one of the most important moves that I made. I think it was a great learning for me. 
Yeah, that's so, I mean, that's goosebumps kind of stuff because I know that, I know I can only imagine how hard that would have been. But what, what comes to mind for me is when I chat with leaders on this podcast and in in life about great great leaders that that have led them and also leaders who have you know been really painful for them i'd say i'm trying to think i I can't think of anything bigger than this it's that sense of um when so much of it's gray this tends to be very black and white leaders where they've had a terrible experience will um will blame and mm-hmm. particularly um, not only get out of the way and let them take the fall, they'll even throw them under the bus or to their face, accuse them. So there's there's a real sense of pushing ownership of bad things on them. And yet the worst cases, and I think that's something a lot of people are guilty of, I think um, if we're not careful, um, and then in the worst cases, they take the credit for the good stuff. <laughs> that's uh, really yes. like a shocker of a, that's the worst experiences where they, they throw you under the bus when something goes wrong. And then when, and, and I was chatting with someone about someone like that just the other day going, oh man, yes. I can't, can't even fathom that people are doing this in this day and age. But um, the reverse is true. And that's what I love about what you, what you shared. I cannot think about anything that beats this. When people say the leaders that I've loved following it's leaders who, when it got really tough, when the hard decisions, when the when the losses happened, when mistakes happened, they stood in front of me and they 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 had my back in that moment and said, actually, I'll own this. And then when great things happen, they get out of the way and they pull yes. me up and say, look at how amazing this person is. I cannot think of anything more significant that affects a leadership um, dynamic. I agree. I agree with that. And I think, right, you know, that falls into that same vein is, are you willing to say you made a mistake? Mm. Are you willing to own that? And I think, you know, of the leaders that I talk to, the younger leader, it's very hard for them. They feel like that is a weakness and a failing. And I say to them, this is exactly the opposite. This is your best leadership opportunity that you have with someone who works for you or a peer, either one, is to say, you know what, I could have and should have done this differently. And it could be something as small as I lost my temper. I I didn't like the words that I used, you know, to talk about a situation or to engage with you. It could be something that simple, or it could be all the way up to I made this decision. And in hindsight, I should have gone a different way. And I know that you had given me advice about this. And I didn't listen to you. And those are very powerful opportunities to um, pull your leaders and staff closer to you. And I think that it's underutilized. Now, Mm. it also is the flip side is apologizing too much. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, my executive coach always says, especially as a female leader, be very cautious about that because she sees that uh, female leaders sometimes have a tendency to over own or over apologize. But I do think if it's sincere um, and it comes from the right place, you know, that, that it's a really important thing as is, I think, you know, sometimes when I make a decision and I know there's a group of staff or an individual that are going to be upset about the decision. The other thing that I do, and I advise my senior leaders to do is go to that person and give them the courtesy of telling them first, 
that the decision's not going to go their way. You know, I really know that you wanted the policy to be this way and that this decision is going to upset you. I'm telling you before I tell everybody else, because I know you're going to be upset and here's the rationale behind it. And I can't tell you how many people have said, thank you, you know, for, I don't agree with the decision, but thank you for having mm. just, you know, the, the foresight to actually talk to me first. So I think all of these things are kind of, they're, they're kind of linked together, you know, for me in a lot of yeah. ways. Absolutely. So good. Well, um, we could keep talking um, for a long time, but I want to uh, start wrapping it up. So let's jump into Leadership Express. It's just so much fun talking about leadership with you, Sarah. Um, the first question I have for you is about a book, or you can pick a couple. Are there any books that you think, oh, yeah, I've probably gifted that to a few people, or I recommend it a lot? Yeah. Oh, there's so many. It's very hard to pick. Um, but, you know, I'm going to uh, pick a couple. Definitely The Five Dysfunctions of Team. Um, I really like that book. Um, and I have to say, I have, I'm of two minds about that book because I think it has really good messages, but I also think that the framing, even the title is, is negative. I wish it was more <laughs> framed in the affirmative because I think the lessons are so important. Um, but I guide people towards that book because I think it points out how a lot of times leaders think about their individual skill sets. They think about their individual influence, but they don't think as much about the way that they assemble and lead a team. And that I think is one of the most important, you know, things that you do as a leader is to do that. So I put that, I would put that on the list for sure. Um, do you hear, do you hear about that book from a lot of your other people? Um, yeah, actually, I'm a I'm a uh, massive uh, Lencioni fan. I'm a bit of a super fan, so I um, I've read all of his material, and it's one of the books I use the most in my um, consulting. I use the Advantage a lot. His his book that goes through the six questions of clarity, and and I mean, you can probably see how much of a fan I am because my organization's called Clarity, and that's really comes from his materials where he talks so much about. Um, you know, not trying to go for consensus, not trying to go for certainty, but actually just being really clear and having clarity in organizations. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, I, I probably talk about it more than anyone that, <laughs> so I, I love that <laughs> recommendation. <laughs> I've written really blogs do. on it. Yeah. So um, it's such a good book. And I really also like his, um, oh, what is it called? Silos, Politics and Turf Wars. I'm a big fan of, of that book. Yes. As well. Um, yep. It's excellent. Um, and, you know, the other book that I've spent a lot of time reading, and in fact, this is the one that's sitting in the corner of my desk is Good to Great. Um, and I really, especially from a, a kind of med, the nonprofit version of that book is very helpful. Um, it helped me a lot, especially in um, the merger that I did about, you know, figuring out what is your hedgehog and how do you um, figure yeah. out how to focus your mission and not spread your energies around as an organization and how important that is for brand and for moving people all in the same direction. Um, and, and I think it helps people to think beyond their own individual role to being a part of an organization or an institution and seeing their role as a part of the bigger picture. And I don't think that you can build a great organization unless you elevate every employees thinking above the individual role that they're doing and helping them mm. to understand that they're contributing to something bigger, that they have a key role in that. 
So I really, I mean, those are the two, my two go-tos for sure. And, and I do have one of them actively always sitting on the corner of my desk. Yeah. They're such good books. Great recommendations. Uh, You mentioned questions earlier being, you know, um, a a, a researcher academic in, in education initially. And um, I, so I'm interested to know, are there any questions that, in a one-on-one, in a workshop with stakeholders in your research where you think, yeah, that's probably one of the silver bullet kind of questions that I, I go to a lot in um, in different contexts. Yeah. I mean, this actually leads into another recommendation of, of books, I mean, strangely, but, you know, what is my why? Uh, you know, that is, that's a question that I use in different forms, um, you know, in different conversations at the leadership level or when I'm working with other leaders. So, you know, it's very easy when you're in the context of having a conversation and a meeting and everybody is has all these back-to-back things on their schedule and they're trying to check things off of their to-do list. How do you take a step back and remember why why is this important and why are we doing this? And I can't tell you how many times a week I will I will do that. Um, it, because it's easy to kind of get subsumed in minutiae. But the interesting thing about questions, and this is this is connected to my experience as a researcher, and I find it to be really fascinating. So one of my areas of research in educational um, research was about teacher evaluation and trying to understand how do we promote a more equitable, fair way of measuring teacher performance in the classroom and understanding you know, high quality instruction in a way that is developmental for them and is fair to to make sure that we're doing right by children, et cetera. And it turns out that one of the the research shows that one of the most difficult things for teachers to do well is to ask thought-provoking probing questions. On the Charlotte Danielson framework for teaching is the hardest element to get a high rating on in the entire framework. And so it shows you just how difficult that skill is Mm. to ask the right kind of question to really facilitate a dialogue or push someone's thinking. But if you think about it, that is probably one of the most essential skill sets that there is in any profession, in any relationship, in any context, right? Is being able to ask the right kind of question um, to get to deeper meaning. So yeah questions to me are they're really important i'm sure you see that in your own work as well is is how important they are yeah 100 <laughs> percent. i mean i always say to people that as a coach i find um i initially started coaching thinking you know what people are gonna love my advice my advice is gonna be so <laughs> helpful and i just i'm gonna bring so much wisdom to people's businesses and lives and um as part of the framework i use i i, I I usually ask at the end, you know, what did you find most helpful? And um, you know what? Every now and then someone will say, oh, yeah, that thing you said there, that was good. Um, but not probably nine out of ten, it's about how it really comes back to um, being asked questions which they then think through and that's the helpful part. It's the It's actually their own time and space, which I think is hilarious because I'm, I'm spending this time with someone and then they're like, you know what, just being able to think through and talk to someone um, was really helpful. But I think that's, I think if you have someone listening intently and being present and asking thoughtful questions, 
Yeah. I mean, in my experience, that's probably more transformative than any advice I can give most of the time. It is. I mm. mean, and let's, let's face it, leadership is lonely and there's mm. not a lot of places where you can ask the kind of questions that you need to ask. I mean, certainly you might have another senior leader with whom you can do that, but you know, there are shades of gray around that about what's appropriate and what isn't in, in that context with somebody who has a reporting line to you. Um, yeah. And so it's, and you can do it with peers, definitely, um, but it's, they may not have the full understanding of the, the situation, the context that you're in. So it does sometimes feel lonely. Um, and I really do encourage leaders, first of all, surround yourself with people who are better than you. That's my hiring practice at the senior level, 100%. And I know some leaders shy away from that because that feels intimidating. I absolutely am intentionally looking for people who are better than I am in the dimensions where I have weaknesses. Um, and when you do that and you ask the right questions, it not only makes the organization better, I think it makes leadership less lonely. And that's really <laughs> important. Yeah, that's so good. I'm just chuckling because I remember at one time I was thinking about this exact topic and I wrote a blog um, about being the dumbest person in the room. And, <laughs> and um, I love that because obviously there's parts of it where, where, where that, that you want to push back on straight away, but it's kind of like actually great leaders do want to end up being looking around and going, you know what? It's not that I'm dumb, but everyone in this room is probably smarter than me. And I think that's like, that's a bit controversial and it gets, I, I even gets my backup saying it, but I think it's a helpful idea because it's um, otherwise it can, it's like intuitively we do the other way. Like um, I want to get smarter. I want to invest in my own leadership. It's like, yeah, but if you want to be a great leader, you need to find people where you go, you are authentically when it comes to marketing, when it comes to HR, when it comes to managing people, even wow, you are, you're another level yeah. than I am. And I want you on my team. And I think that's what great leaders do. And that's, how you, that's how you find and keep superstars as well. Cause they, they appreciate that you're not threatened and you are. You, yeah. So um, I love that. That's why. Um, yeah. I think that's a, a great leadership lesson, but counterintuitive. It is. And how can you, I mean, it's all linked to succession too, right? Because succession mm. is, is multifaceted. And, um, and so, you know, I think about it in terms of now I've led, co-led really with my amazing senior leaders, this transformational process in this organization, but it's my responsibility to make sure that the organizational structure, the accountability, the governance, the people, the positions is all knit together in a way that if I decide to walk out, that you know the organization will will stand on its own, that it won't end up back in the position it was in when I took it over. And and so I think that is that's the also the leadership responsibility is you have to bring in great people and you have to build the right structure from an accountability and governance um, and program quality point of view, so that you can responsibly exit and you should be constantly preparing for that. It's, you know, this is a seat you temporarily occupy. I always tell people that you temporarily, it's not yours. You're sitting in it for now, but your goal should be to make sure that this organization is going to be good without you. Um, and I think about that mm. every day. Yeah, I, I, I love that. It's a wonderful filter. Um, it's actually a book I'm working on right now. Um, and the working title is called Replace Yourself. And it's about, <laughs> yep. it's about once again, like great leaders are always replacing themselves. 
and we all know that leader that that we watched from afar or sometimes we were the person in their team and it was very clear they were very threatened and wouldn't let go of things yes. because they were insecure and it's like no 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 great leadership is the opposite it's going okay how fast is. can i train up this bunch of people around me so that I am redundant. <laughs> like it's not that you that's want to right. be. I mean, that like, is the goal. Yeah, that's right. That is the goal. And then, um, and it it's is very, the goal. Uh, it's, it's so counterintuitive. Guess though. what? It's not, a, it's not about you. It's no. not about you. It's never about you. And I think a lot of leaders don't see that, but I, I mean, if you were leadership coaching me right now, I would tell you that is my greatest fear about where my organization is now is mm. I, I feel like, we, we have gone in the right direction and we fixed the financial sustainability problem. And after this year, the operational infrastructure is going to be intact and we'll have all the right metrics. And mm. But too much of it is in my hands. And to, between me and one other senior leader, we hold too much. Yeah. And that's the thing that keeps me up at night is it can't, that it can't be that way that we hold so many of the pieces and it's getting better. We're hiring more senior leaders, but um, I think my kind of, you know, you always say that your greatest strength is your greatest weakness, right? Yeah, yeah. And I have this really almost limitless ability to multitask and and to hold a lot of pieces and kind of balls simultaneously. And that is a it's that skill has served me really, really well. But what it means is you create a sort of unsustainable, irreplaceable position when you do that. Um, and and so this is going to be my challenge is it's not that I'm holding on to things intentionally. It's just, I'm holding more things than I realize I'm holding because I'm capable of doing that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So I've got to work. I've got to continue to work on that. Um, so I can work myself out of a job uh, exactly. and I'm just, we're just not there yet. The accountability and governance is just still not right. I feel nervous mm. about it. So, but mm. it's, that's the challenge. You know, I, I originally thought when I took this job, well, I'll come in and do the financial turnaround and I'll spend a couple of years here. And now I'm like, I really love this. Um, and mm. I have some responsibility to make sure it's good, you know, before I go anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, looking at the clock. So let me ask you just one more question. Um, sure. if, you, if you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say to them? Wow. One piece of leadership advice. Um, I would say, I mean, I would look back at myself as a young leader. I would give myself advice. How about that? This is the advice I would, I would give myself. Yeah. I would say, slow down, listen more and ask questions instead of making statements. And those would be, that would be my, my one piece of advice. Um, I, I really do think that the combination of doing that and relying on people you know, to triangulate and give you good advice are, are kind of the key starting points for, for anything in leadership. And I mean, I know you only said one thing, but it's all, it's all about humility. You know, I, I really mm. do think leadership corrupts. It does. It has a tendency to do that in ways that you're not expecting. And, and I think surrounding yourself with the right mentors who can kind of keep you in check. And I've got, believe it or not, I've got five of those. And they all have been with me for almost 30 years, which is an unbelievable gift, you know, that I've grown up with these, these folks and they're very supportive of me when I need it, but they also kind of, you know, keep me in line when I need to be kept in line. 
So I do think that that's an important piece of this as well, is just that you're leading with humility, but you're also checking your own thinking with people who you trust um, mm. to bolster you, but also to kind of keep you in your place when you need it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, wonderful advice. Um, well, for people who've really enjoyed this, how can they uh, find you online? Well, they, they can visit our website. We're, we're going to launch a new beautiful website in just a couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, my contact information is, is available there. And I very much have, just like I have with my staff, an open door policy. Um, my door is always open. Um, my virtual door is always open as well. I always welcome people to just email me directly. Um, my phone number is on there to reach out directly. And I would just say, check out the work that we do too. It's, it's compelling. It's inspirational. And, get involved and, and give back. So good. Well, thank you so much. Um, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in as well. What a, what a great episode, just one of my favourites. And um, I think uh, don't forget for our listeners, you can also check out the John O. White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day podcast, talking about questions. Um, there are a couple of other places you can go to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Sarah, for being so generous with your time pushing through some of our tech issues we had before recording, which you were very kind to persevere, <laughs> and I'm glad we did. And, um, yeah, it's been a real joy spending time with you, and and uh, I can see why the organisation has turned around, and, and uh, yeah, I can, you know, just incredible. You've got my brain ticking on lots of things, um, which I always love. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Jono, and for the free coaching advice that I got along the way. I mean, I, I, I picked it up. Some of it was very subtle, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm always looking to learn uh, and grow. And so I, I appreciate the ways in which I, I have grown from this conversation too. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, 
um, our books, Books We're Reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time. 